0: Welcome to the Leaders Performance Podcast. My name is David Cushnan, Head of Content here at Leaders. And with me is Matthew Stone from the Leaders Performance Institute, who is here to talk about his exciting trip to Los Angeles. Matthew, hello.
1: Hello. Yes, it was a lovely trip to Santa Monica, actually. Third year we've done it um, at Red Bull Media House. Um, Had some really, really good sessions. Uh, You know, we kicked off with Hikaru... Nakamura, who of course is the chess grandmaster and in a in the leader's first we uh we actually had a live uh live game on stage difficult to do with a lot of sports with the chess of course uh, he played the moderator Steve Gera.
0: and and uh, you know and I'm not giving too much away here when I say beat him comfortably
1: very comfortably and then actually got rather confident and invited someone down from the audience uh to play who was considerably better than Steve um but he dispatched him pretty easily as well so um, fair play to Hikari on that one. Um, some other things, you know, it was a real diverse agenda. We had Brandon Gardner, uh, who's the stage director and improv teacher at Upright Citizens Brigade, uh, who came to talk about the uses of improv and comedy um, in, in high performance. Um, again, a, a transferable world in terms of uh, the topics they think about. Uh, and also was also one of the uh, groups mentioned in Daniel Coyle's book, uh, the culture code. Have you
0: read that one, David? Not yet. It's on my list.
1: Good. Good to hear. Uh, so Brandon was alongside Ari, that was that was a real practical session went really really well. Um elsewhere, uh, I chatted to Jenny Milnes, who's the high performance uh, specialist at Red Bull. She was brilliant at helping us put together uh, put together the event uh, and obviously works uh, incredibly hard at, at Red Bull to, to keep push the boundaries out there. Um, they're doing some really fantastic stuff. So I had a chat with her alongside Brandon and Hikaru, um, and then also I thought it'd be nice to uh, you know invite leaders' favourite moderators onto the onto the podcast. So Steve Gira had a bit a good chat with him about you know his thoughts over the two days, uh, a few trends looking ahead, um, you know what what he thinks on the horizon in terms of high performance. Um, and then Dara, Dara Harris, obviously, she's now in, a, now in a new role at the Washington University in St. Louis, uh, overseeing uh, wellness and high performance. She sat down with John Baker from the Chicago Cubs, who, of course, you'll remember, was part of that session last year in Chicago uh, around psycholo- psychological safety. So, yeah, all in all, uh, enjoyed our time out there. And, you know, you sorely
0: missed there, David. But uh, we had a good trip. Thanks for your, your kind words there, Matthew. And while you're out on the West Coast, of course, um, you uh, stopped off as you do in Las Vegas.
1: Of course, you know, why not? Um, you know, I thought while well, I'm over there, I'll pop over to Vegas. No, it was brilliant. So we uh, have a couple of our members over there uh, and a couple of uh, organisations that are doing some really good stuff. Um, so at Soleil, have been members of the Institute since the start, and I, I hopped over to see Brian Bernstein, who's based out there. Uh, obviously, uh, his role is. Mostly in Vegas, but splits across into Montreal. Um, but talk to him about the, the, the show they have out there. It's been running, I think, for 13 or 14 years now. Um, again, someone who's just immersed in the high-performance space. Uh, so it was really good to to catch up with Brian.
0: Good stuff. Um, if you are a Leaders' Performance Institute member, you can uh, watch, or if you were in the room in Los Angeles, re-watch all the sessions from the Sport Performance Summit in L.A., Uh, right now um, via the online hub. If you're not a member of the Leaders Performance Institute, rectify that immediately by going to leadersinsport.com and you'll get all the details there. Full speed ahead now for our next uh, Sport Performance Summit in Chicago. More details uh, on that to come in due course. Uh, We, though, now are going to enjoy uh, the highlights from Matthew Stone from Los Angeles, from the uh, Sport Performance Summit. So we're here in Santa Monica
1: for the third uh, annual Sports Performance Summit, and I'm joined by Hikaru, who's just come off stage. Obviously, chess grandmaster and Red Bull athlete. Uh, enjoy it. It's a good session. Yeah, I
2: did. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun getting up there, um, answering questions, and trying to explain uh, what's what's going on in the world of chess and how I got to where I am. And I know you played one of the guys from Kaiser, uh, second up, not a bad player. Yeah, the guy from Kaiser was pretty, pretty good. He's definitely played quite a bit. He's not,
1: um, he's, he's, he's not, he's not a bad player by any means. <laughs> so I spoke to Steve, obviously moder- moderated this session. He says one question that he wanted to ask you was, um, you know, as an elite athlete, when was that switch turned on in your head that you realized, right, I'm pretty good at this and, you know, I'm going to devote a lot of time to this potentially being my hmm. career.
2: Um, yeah, I mean there 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 were several critical moments, um, but I think the the key moment was when I became the youngest grandmaster in America at the time. Um, when when I obtained that title, uh, I realized that I certainly had potential, and also the fact that I broke the record that had been set by Bobby Fischer, who was uh, the uh, last American world champion. Um, it certainly it, it's the the bell started ringing then that I that I had potential that that I could keep going because. Um, at at that point, I was already competing against the best players in the country and doing quite well against them. So so I, I knew at that point that it was possible. I, I wouldn't say that I was certain that it would be, that I would be a professional player, but I knew that it definitely was a serious possibility at that point more so than any
1: any period before. Yeah, brilliant. And when we talk about you know, I think the two topics that you guys talked about on stage were you know managing in you know, managing risk and talking about trusting your intuition. It's a, it's a huge mental sport, right? So. Yeah. You know if, if games are going on for hours and hours how do you keep yourself mentally stimulated and make sure you're in the right right frame of mind
2: um i think a lot of it is just uh trying to keep your your general thoughts to a minimum um of course a game goes for a very long time so you can't always be thinking cause if, you, if you're just thinking trying to think about various moves for the entire uh game then then you're 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 just going to go a little bit insane you're you're going to become very tired and there there generally are always going to be critical moments both early on in the game even in the middle of the game and then much later at the end so like if you, if you end up wasting all your energy early on at the end you're just not going to be able to focus so i think it's important that during certain periods, um, when, when your opponents are thinking, you kind of just get up, walk around, clear your mind, and, and try as much as you can not not to overthink. Because when when your opponent's thinking, it's their it's their move; they have to come up with a with a plan or a solution. Whereas you're just uh, it's not really on you to be thinking on their time. So it's the, the main thing I do is just try and um, not think too much um, as much early on as I can. Because if I think too much early on, then then it tends not to uh, it tends to reflect later on in the game in in a bad way so it's important just to not
1: not not overthink and i guess from your point of view you're playing the role as 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 the athlete and the coach right when you're during a game you know we've got a lot a lot of coaches in the in the audience who um, you have to think about how they tailor their approach to the game and play Mm -hmm. off the opponent now with you having to not only perform but think about that at the same time how do you you know look to develop your your match during the game and also when you're preparing for for matches Mm -hmm. you know how do you kind of alter your innovations in the way that you approach it
2: Right. So at the beginning of the game, um, I think there are a few things that come into play. So let, let's say I'm playing a game early on in the tournament. Generally, nothing will change. I'll have I'll have some idea before I go into the event and more or less I'll stick to that. Um, now, where it gets tricky is if you're playing later on in the event or um, towards the end in that. First of all, your situation in the event could be very good or very bad. Um, so, for example, if you're doing very well, it might be important to be conservative and not take too many risks to uh, stay stay in the lead. Um, at the same time, if you're doing if you're doing badly, or if your opponent specifically is doing badly, you're you're willing to take more risks because if if you're not having a great event, generally speaking, your confidence is, sh- is shaken a little bit. So therefore, um, you you really try to take advantage of that uh, in 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 the event. I mean during it. Um, so that makes a difference. Um, and, and then I think I mean just in just in general, uh, you're you're really. Your coaches are the ones paying attention to the things. so like even though even though i'm i generally have the final say in what i'm doing you do have some trainers who are looking at things and they, they also have their input as well so it's kind of a whole team effort but certainly it's it's much easier to plan before the event than, than during the event because things things do change and, and even like for example if you're in a bad mood you're you're not going to be willing to take certain risks or place certain opening strategies because it's not it's it's just you don't feel right, or it just seems wrong somehow. So it, things things become tricky during the event. It's very that's why having trainers is very important because they can kind of get get you back in the right right spot mentally, where you're you're not you're not like in a bad mood. You're 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 in the zone. And do you do you train your
1: decision making? How do you how do you work on that?
2: Um, I think for the most part. Um, the the really the only thing that that I try to work on is is trying to get that mindset where I'm 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 ready to to go after after a loss because in something like chess you generally don't lose very often so so when you do lose it's uh it's very upsetting because first of all you don't lose often but then secondly just losing is is uh not 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 a good result so yeah losing is never never uh, never fun so um In in general, that's the main thing I try to work on is uh, just making sure that regardless of the results, I mean, of course, if I win or draw the game, generally it won't change. But in the case of losing that, I'm readjusted mentally uh, for the next day. And I think I think the main thing is just like not not trying not to be surprised, trying to accept that that does happen. And and that's really the main thing that I was just try to get to that point where I just like I accept that it happens, even though I'm even though I'm not happy with it, just like not letting it uh, take over.
1: Brilliant, well, best of luck from everyone here in the next you know, next few months and years, and uh, thanks for coming down. Sure, no problem. So I'm here with Brandon after his session. Uh, how do you enjoy it? Yeah, it went well, I think. Yeah? How I did think you engage? hopefully they thought it went well. Absolutely. Have you uh, worked with
3: sports organizations a lot in the past? Uh, I haven't. Most of, uh, of our workshops are either for uh, performers or uh, with companies. Okay,
1: mm-hmm. fine. So, like we just talked about, Harold mm-hmm. is a concept that I believe you guys use internally. And, um, you know. So what do you do after a failed Harold is the question we got here. Can you just enlighten yeah, us a so, bit on that? Yeah, so
3: a Harold is, is just a, a structure, that uh, a, a type of show you might do. Uh, and it's sort of a more challenging structure. Uh, and so a lot of times after a Harold, it's a, a failed Harold. Uh, and for the most part, uh, every team at UCB who's doing a Harold uh, has a coach. And they're the coach that they rehearse with. Mm-hmm. And so after every Herald, you get notes from that coach. And a lot of times it's, um, how did we meet the goals that we set as a team before the show? This is what we're working on, especially with a new team. And it's funny, it's, it's sort of similar to what uh, Luke Walton was saying about where the Lakers are at now. If you're a new team, you can't win championships. So you sort of have to, well, how do we measure progress? And so it might be with your Herald team, it's like, well, it wasn't perfect, the, the perfect show. We're not there yet. But this goal that we set for ourselves we we achieved it so even if the audience didn't love it and there's some parts that didn't uh, go as well uh, how are we measuring up against the things that we're trying to to work on because similarly and and, and it's sort of like he said before there with the Lakers they could get hot and and, and make all these threes but um, not rotate on defense and he'll yell at them after sometimes it's like that in an improv show too where it's like it was really funny the audience liked it but there was all these like fundamental problems that we Mm -hmm. had uh, that made the show maybe not good. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's talking to a coach afterwards and starting to 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 figure out well uh, what worked, what didn't work, um, both at the macro level and, and individually.
1: And you mentioned Luke there, and you know I think there were a lot of similarities in what you were talking about yeah he was interesting. So yeah. He, he talked about you know they're at the beginning of this new era now mm-hmm. um so they're looking at the way they want to create their culture, et cetera. Mm-hmm. so so you as a as a creative, how do you you know, embed creativity into your performance and also the performers, you know, like yourself and people you work with Mm -hmm. as
3: well. A lot of it, I think people have to feel safe enough to be creative, like a lot of times when people struggle with it, it's because they they feel like they're in an environment where they're not allowed to be creative or that they could get punished Mm -hmm. for for failing. So a lot of uh, being creative at UCB is just really trying to have a culture where everyone's supportive, right, and especially with improv. we sometimes instead of mistakes, we'll call them happy accidents, and Mm -hmm. sometimes they lead to the more fun parts of shows. Mm -hmm. And so it's to not be really negative about something immediately, um, but to be like, well, what if we made that part of what's fun that's happening right now? And the more you're on a team that approaches it that way, the more you have freedom to be creative and maybe do something you've never seen
1: happen in a show before Mm -hmm. um, and not be scared that it won't work. Mm -hmm. And can you talk a little bit about... uh, you mentioned it in in the session, taking negatives and turning them into positives. Because a lot of guys in the audience are from sports mm-hmm. like baseball and basketball, mm-hmm. and games come so fluently and you know so quickly right, right. that they might lose three games in a row, but that might be in the space of five days. So how do, how do you as a per, as a performer and, and the way that you you know work with individuals take those negatives and then to turn them into to a positive outcome? Right. It's interesting. I mean, there,
3: it, there's a couple different levels of it. So at some point, like with improv, as far as like negatives and, and mistakes. Sometimes within it, uh, especially because we're looking, because we're doing improv comedy, we're trying to find what's funny, and sometimes uh, the failure or the mistake will lead to the funny if we don't sort of give up on it. Um, And then besides that, uh, a lot of times, like one thing that I talk about when I'm teaching people who are trying to become performers um, is sort of... uh, in the beginning levels, you're sort of trying to teach everyone the same fundamentals. And the further along you go into it, it, it becomes a little bit more specified of, what well, these are your strengths and these are your weaknesses and these are the things you should be working on. Um, and so you're trying to uh, sort of, I would imagine, like you would in, in many sports, sort of let them know the things that they're doing well at mm-hmm. so that they can keep doing it, but also sort of challenge them of, of, of where here's where you could get better at. And it's oftentimes... Um, sort of being like for a little bit you'll be worse at this because i want you to focus on what you're not good at mm-hmm. but uh long term you'll be you'll be good at everything because because you're not just doing the thing you're
1: good at you're, you're challenging yourself to do the stuff you're bad at too absolutely and um one thing i was going to say is you know it comes across you know you're under so much pressure up there right mm-hmm. and uh that doesn't come across at all with the way you're uh-huh. performing. But Again, with a, with a correlation to sport, there you know performing under pressure is such a big topic. Um, so, how do you practice that? You know, I think practicing for the moments that you know are going to come, but you know are going to be tough, is very mm-hmm. important. So, right. do you how do you practice for those pressure moments? There certain techniques mm-hmm. that you use. Really,
3: for improv, the thing that is most helpful is just to put yourself in as many pressure moments as you can. Mm-hmm. So, if you're if you're trying to be a performer, um, and you only rehearse in sort of a closed uh, space. It'll always feel intimidating when you get in front of an audience. But if you do lots and lots and lots and lots of shows in front of every type of audience and have amazing shows and terrible shows, eventually you'll, you'll step out and really be fearless because uh, there's no way this show could be worse than a show you've already had that you survived, right? Sure. And, and I think going back to something else that uh, Luke Walton said was that idea of like sort of being aware that there's an outside world and, and uh, as serious as, as even we're trying to be about being funny, mm-hmm. um, it's a good reminder it's, that it's not the end of the world, And mm-hmm. like one bad show uh, you'll
1: live through and you'll be able to get to the next show. Absolutely, and a uh, bit of a sport-related question. Have you had that kind of, what's your Michael Jordan moment of your career? Not necessarily a joke or, or a show, but you know, when, when was that moment, have you had that moment where you thought, I've, I've really got this right or you know, you've really connected with an audience?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's, lo- there's lots of moments, and it's like one of the highs, you, I guess, you chase when you're improvising, where uh, you feel, I guess, in the zone, like uh, a lot of times with athletes, and that especially for uh, comedy, it's you're getting that constant feedback from the audience, so you're feeling very in sync with them, mm-hmm. and they're responding to everything uh, uh, that you're giving, so it's like, I don't know if there's one in, in particular, but there's always that moment where you get a huge laugh yeah. that feels good. And one thing like with improv too that's, that's I think fun about it is, is sometimes you do something that sets someone up for a laugh on your team and they get the huge laugh and it still feels good. Yeah. Or those moments that like maybe the audience doesn't even laugh but it feels good that you can tell you're so on the same page as the mm-hmm. people you're performing with. The, the sort of like, we call it group mind mm-hmm. in improv of like we just sort of magically all knew where it was going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really satisfying.
1: Yeah, and I, um, uh, a line that you said on, on stage really resonates is that you, uh, you uh, celebrate the assists just as much as the wins right
3: right yeah exactly yeah, and that, yeah exactly that
1: brilliant well um really appreciate it, brandon uh brandon yeah, thank from you USB, and probably one of the strongest beards we've had on stage <laughs> thank here you later, yeah so. you can't see it unfortunately yeah, you can't but, see it on podcast but check it out cheers guys thanks. thank you so we are here with jenny from red bull how was your day what was what was your if you look back at all the sessions there's a one thing that kind of sticking sticks in your mind in particular
4: I think, um, for sure, the, the conversation around this, how important the soft skills are. So a lot of people talking about vulnerability, mm-hmm. compassion, caring, mm-hmm. um, and how that's tied into making good leaders. Mm-hmm. The best leaders seem to be the ones who truly care about their teams, are open and willing to be vulnerable with them, and that creates a trust and it sets the, the culture.
1: Mm-hmm
4: for people to take chances and be open and, and take risks and, mm-hmm. and really grow together.
1: No and, and without any prompters, that is what two other people said already, but the vulnerability okay. piece. So mm-hmm. I think that really is a theme. Former life, athlete as well. So mm-hmm. from, from there till now, how much have you seen that element in terms of leadership change? You know, from from when you were, you know, competing to now when you're in a in a high performance role here at Red Bull? How much is the compassion and the emotional side of leadership changed in your opinion?
4: I always had um, really great coaches who worked with me who I think, you know, helped me focus on what I could do in the moment. Um, a lot of my coaches did stand in behind me and they pushed me forward. So mm-hmm. it was all about my my um, own goals and my progress and I Saw that in today with that you know talks around the best leaders stand behind their teams. They're not in the forefront. Mm-hmm. These two heroic leaders charging the you know charging the way. They're actually behind their team, pushing them forward. Um, so I actually got to feel that. But I worked with really great coaches. Mm-hmm. You know I feel like my coaches were super progressive. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Tellez in track and field had over thirty Olympians. Coach Carl Lewis and Leroy Bro had several world records. Mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. his staff as well under him. So, uh, I think I had experienced that with my coaches who really cared Mm -hmm. and really put me first. Uh, And I didn't really realize it at the time. Sure. You know, I didn't see that genius and what they were doing. I was too focused on myself at the time because I was a narcissistic person. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Sure you were. Yeah.
4: And and now I think I probably appreciate it more than ever.
1: Absolutely. And I know... um, Talking about inspiration, I know Jean at the end there was your MVP for the day. Talk, talk to me a little bit why you th- you know why that talk resonated so much with you and, and you know the t- takeaways from what she was talking about and also just her you know her career in general. You know what what was your kind of the key moments there that stuck in your mind? Yeah,
4: you know, when Jean got up there, I, I just I got to see a bit of her background when she worked in NASA and she was this um, female pioneer in this field where she was the only woman um, pushing forward and. Than to be, you know, at the White House with Obama, and now she is the um, the CTO for the city. You know, and um, not many women are in technology anyway. She's already such a rarity, mm-hmm. um, and she came through um, to me like just a natural, authentic woman. She was not trying to be anything that she w- that she's not. She didn't come off as someone who. Um, Had to come in and pretend to be one of the boys Mm -hmm. and be tough, but she was this feminine, um, incredible, open, kind, caring, sweet woman who is brilliant Mm -hmm. and just done these amazing things in her life.
1: Zero ego as well, right? Totally. Mm-hmm.
4: And and something about her, I just could not take my eyes off of her. Yeah. I was like, this woman is a superstar. And that's what I said to her. I was like, raised my hand immediately. I was like, you're a badass. Yeah. Oh my god. I just And then I just grabbed her and talked to her for a long time and got her card because um, there's something about her, just mm-hmm. the way that she's owning it. And she is just being her full authentic self. And she's clearly cares about people. And she's really putting into the city. And, you know, this is my city here, mm-hmm. so um, it's exciting to see someone who cares that much about, like, making life better for so many uh, local Angelians. Yeah. Angelinans. There you go. <laughs> we're well, in safe hands, it seems. Yeah. And
1: um, she was swamped when she came off stage as well. I think everyone kind of, you know, connected with her from that point. Yeah. Um, swinging back to kind of present present day and looking forward here at Red Bull, doing some really great work. I know we were in the in, in the P8 yesterday, and, you know, Andy's kind of, Andy was there as well, so we had kind of... Couple of you guys from Red Bull. What's on the horizon for you guys? You know, is the things that you're excited about that you can talk about, you know, if you look forward next 12, 18 months, what are the themes that you're focusing on?
4: So we still have our core, you know, or we, what we do, which is a lot of the performance projects with athletes. We're always trying to create new ways of pushing athletes and making them think, look at things from different perspectives, um, giving them the tools to handle, handle the pressure, um, and to just look inside of themselves and push more. So we still have all of those core projects, but probably what is new is that exploration of the esports athletes. Yeah. That's Andy's big passion right now. Uh, I'm really interested in seeing the research that comes out about that. So yeah. they're diving into basically what makes up a good eSports athlete. We don't really know, no. you know.
1: No one does, I guess.
4: Right, like we know what makes up a great basketball player or surfer and uh, what are the fundamental basic you know, elements you need to be a high performer. But I think there's just so much unknown about these eSports athletes and that seems to be the future and a lot of excitement. There's a lot of people around the world who love it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of money behind it. a lot of major league sports teams are, buying yeah. teams you know and so uh yeah there's a big evolution happening and so I would say that would probably be the the biggest like future new what's what's coming down the pipe is more mm. more uncovering and discovering on around the esports athlete and how to train them
1: the industry is booming in that part right yeah it's, it's
4: crazy yeah it,
1: you work with last question In you know you work with lots of different types of athletes and sports here with Hikaru on stage earlier, Chess Grandmaster, which is world apart from a lot of the other sports. Is there any sports that you personally or Red Bull haven't uh, maybe delved into, or have you kind of ticked all the boxes, boxes or is there maybe a sport you think, ah oh, we'd like to work with an athlete in that sport?
4: There's a lot of sports, you know, that we haven't delved into. I mean, I've only been with the team five years. The high-performance team's been around, I think, 11 or 12 years. Um, we have our core sports, surf and snow um air awareness like skateboarding coming in a lot we're building out more programs for the skaters it's now an olympic sport Mm -hmm. um and then surf is also an olympic sport so we have those core programs and then you know we just play around with athletes as they come in Uh, it just depends on their schedules on what the needs are um so as far as any sports i would like to play with I mean, I'm obsessed with track and field, just because of my past. So, uh, you know, more female athletes, helping female athletes move along. That's another passion I have. So, um, pretty much anybody who just loves what they do and they want to get better at it, Mm -hmm. we're we're stoked. You know, if you're a ballet player, ballet dancer, excuse Mm -hmm. me, or a climber, or you play football, we're stoked to help you. Like it's all about just loving that sport, loving movement, and making your body do things that other humans can't do.
1: Absolutely agree. Well, I look forward to seeing esports thrive in the next 12, 18 months and maybe some more uh, track and field athletes as well. Yeah, thank you. Brilliant. Thank you, Jenny. <laughs> End of the third year in Santa
5: Monica. How's it gone, Steve? You know, I, I think it's, it's gone really well. I think every single year has been like a nice buildup. Um, you know, the all three years have been a little bit different, um, and you know, I think this year it was really fun to see how got a little bit more in depth. Mm-hmm. I think in a few of the sessions, mm-hmm. um, you know, starting off with uh, Akira and in uh, the chess, I think was was really interesting, especially from you know sitting there and playing chess with him. Um, that was in getting dominated um, <laughs> playing chess by him or with him. So that was uh, that was a lot of fun, um, and then. You know throughout the course of the day it was it's just the thing about LA and the thing about you know, what you know leaders has done here in LA is it's done such a nice job of actually interlacing different industries you know and obviously you know leaning against the um, the whole storytelling aspect and all mm-hmm. the content creators and storytellers that are here in LA mm-hmm. and being able to leverage that in in sports I think is a really interesting take mm-hmm. um, so I think that's like one of the things that, that I, I've been so impressed with over the last three years with leaders is the fact that like taking like what this city does really really well and then showcasing that for mm-hmm. people who come here.
1: No, we definitely try to do that. And talking about LA, just you just uh, about an hour ago came off with Luke Walton, who interesting guy. Swamped when he came off stage. Biggest takeaway from that session? Do you think, from your point of view, what were you most
5: impressed about with Luke? You know, the thing you don't you don't hear coaches use the word joy or beauty very much. You mm-hmm. know, um, I think my, my biggest takeaway is the fact that. Um, the program he's creating and the culture and foundation that he's putting into his organization, mm-hmm. I think you could probably, after hearing him talk today, we could easily get up on a board and I think we could actually outline what that is, mm-hmm. right? We could put it on paper. But what he's doing is by using joy and, and finding joy in playing the game, the thing that he's doing is he's, he's actually just making it very organic, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so he's, take, he's he's simplifying All these things that I think sometimes as coaches and as performance specialists, um, we tend to kind of overthink where we get up on a whiteboard and we're like, this is the best structure and this is the best, you know, and all that's important, you know. And then you put your values and your attributes you want out of your players and everything else. And all that's really important. But I think, you know, but the most important thing is actually just going out there and doing it. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me after talking with him over the last couple of days and then um, everything he set up on the stage, the thing he's doing is that he's really just building that, in a very simple and a very organic way, and around the core strength of allowing his players just to experience joy when they're in the building at mm-hmm. any given time.
1: Absolutely, and I think um, we've had a lot of the last couple of days in the P. Eight, uh, and also lots of diverse sessions today, lots of different topics flying around. But what do you think, looking ahead? What, yeah, you know, nine months left of the year. What are the biggest? trends that you've seen and, you know, I know you're working in the tech and performance space at the moment. Anything that you think worth highlighting that you think is going to really blow up in the next nine, ten months, 12 months?
5: Well, it's interesting. You know, I mean, yesterday in the P8, we had um, a talk about artificial intelligence and, you know, what that means, not only for sport, but for all industries. Mm-hmm. And the thing about, you know, it, it, it's really great to think about, um, like, what all these advanced pieces of technology, these advanced pieces of um, data, you know, tools, what what they can do for you. But it all really still comes back to, you know, GMs, so the GMs and the coaches that were in the PA yesterday, there's, I mean, some of them are still just trying to get the basics mm-hmm. right to a certain degree, right? And they, they do a lot of things well, but trying to do more things well, mm-hmm. right? And so... I think for, I think that if you look at like the big things over the course of the next, you know, nine months, um, I think you'll see, I think you're going to see a lot of really interesting things on the tech and data space and I'll get to that in a second. But I think the main thing is, is that one thing that I've seen over the course of the last probably three to five years is about four or five years ago, I mean, people were just starting to learn how to engage and interact mm-hmm. with new ideas, new technology. I think we're getting to a, a maturation stage in the education to where now you're going to start to see people actually doing and going out there and doing it, mm. right? I mean, a year ago you saw FC Barcelona launch their innovation hub. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're going to, you, you've seen, you know, early stage you saw a lot of um, baseball teams, you know, like the Los Angeles Dodgers run their accelerator program and a couple of other things that so were more investment minded than opposed to like, you know, transformation, transforming their business minded. I think what you're going to start to see over the course of the next year is I think you'll start to see some clubs who have who've accumulated all this knowledge and then they start to put it into practice mm-hmm. in really, like, applied ways, right? So that, to me, I think is probably going to be the one thing that you'll see from a, just a structural standpoint. And then... Um, any teams that you think are doing that really well at the moment? No FC Barcelona, you've been working close with anything. Any
1: teams you've seen out there that are doing, doing, doing that piece pretty well?
5: Yeah, I mean, yeah, really bullish on, the, uh, on, on Barca and what they're doing um, and, and, and the work that, that we see coming out of there. Um, you know, the other clubs that I think do a really good job of just thinking about the space in like really, like, in really specific domains. Um, I think Chelsea does a really good job in their academy i think i think, we, I think I, i'm super impressed with everything that they do and the way that they think about the space because they bring it back to a little bit like what luke walton does they bring it back to like being very very applied mm-hmm. and and it's it's simple and it's organic mm-hmm. right um I, th- I look at um organizations you know in the nba like the like the 76ers who um you know sam Hinkie you know went through this entire process of trying to build them build them build them um, and then he gets let go, and now they have a new GM in there, and, and now they're starting to fire. And it, it was actually a collection of work that Hinckley did, and then mm-hmm. also the collection of work that they're doing now. Mm-hmm. But you see some of the things that they're doing on the way that they approach everything from the way that they you know train athletes to mm-hmm. the way that they um, work with them on the, um, on the performance side from mm-hmm. a um, recovery standpoint. Um, I think they're doing things really, really well. Um, and then yeah, and there's a whole host of other teams that I could probably go on and on about. But the one thing I think you're starting to see that... Was that most teams are who have investigated this, the tech and data space, um, for the last four or five years? They're all doing at least one thing really well, and I could probably like list a lot mm-hmm. of that out, right? But um, some of those teams probably don't want me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the teams that are there, there will be teams that will be playing catch up, um, and it'll take them a little bit longer because now they're just now diving into it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think where we're going to see a lot of the gains over the next couple of years are going to be with those teams that that have kind of started down past like the 76ers um, like Chelsea um, like FC Barcelona um, and then you know there's, there's a whole host of other teams that I think you could put in that group
1: hopefully excited to see it well we look forward to Chicago's in our next event and now you've played a chess grandmaster on stage so next is fencing, fencing. so yeah Apparently, that's our next one to go. Ca-
5: calling all fencers. If you want to <laughs> get uh, bludgeoned by uh, Steve Guerra up on the stage, um, feel free. That was fun. That, we need to do more experiential things like that. that exactly. That was a blast.
1: Any ideas from the network, let us know what you want to see
5: Steve Guerra do on stage. We'll, get out. we'll make it happen. It, competitive eating is not something that we're going to do, though, so don't even ask. Man versus food. All right. just Steve. <laughs>
1: So here we are, post-event, Mr. John Baker from the Cubs and everyone's favourite moderator, don't tell Steve that, <laughs> Ms. Dara Harris. Um, biggest takeaway from today, guys? I think it's been a really diverse amount of sessions, Facebook, Lakers, improv, etc. cetera. Dara, what was your biggest takeaway?
6: That there is a really effective style of leadership that blends caretaking and actually really understanding what all of your players or your staff needs and is still guided by a strong vision i think we've had this model that you know you only know a leader if they kind of disregard what everyone else thinks but i thought you brought in a whole bunch of really successful examples of people who are very invested in their players individually and are creating a culture that moves people forward without disregarding that part of it
1: you you and amy had some really good chats on stage amy hayes from facebook um i know you chat a lot of before the event as well. Was there anything that you didn't cover in the session that you thought a really strong area that you know Amy resonated with?
6: You know, she's touched a little bit on this piece of what happens to them because you're always staying in a job that you love and are great at. But when she gets those common questions about what do you do about firing and bad cultural fits, when she was talking about it with me, that the fact that you are keeping people doing something they love Means the fit stays better. You don't have to do all of these remedial programs and stuff. And sure, if you have someone, you will. But I thought that the way that they create a company that thrives on people enjoying what they do is such a different take. And that it cleans up a lot of the stuff that I feel like actually takes up a lot of our bandwidth, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, this guy doesn't fit, or now he's not good at this job. If you're keeping people happy and challenged, then you're not doing all that cleanup of bad management fits and people who shouldn't have that role. Mm-hmm. I think they are saving themselves a ton of effort mm-hmm. that maybe on the surface isn't as apparent.
1: Mm-hmm. I thought it was a real, in a, in a lot of the sessions today, there was a lot of talk of taking the negative and turning it into a positive, right? I think yeah. quite it was a bit of a, a theme that ran through. Mm-hmm. What Anything for you, John, that you know stuck in your head from any of the sessions today in particular?
7: Yeah, I think there's a consistent theme of uh, humanity that I, I kind of see it as this not not like reversion to the mean away from this technological landscape that we live in now but kind of kind of like that you know you hear i think luke walton was kind of a nice summary as a young coach um in a prominent organization and when he starts talking about their values and he says things like compassion joy and mindfulness you hear that and you go oh wow this is really where it's going um i think that i can i have a shared experience like that in 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 the work that i do with the cubs we kind of view sports performance in the same regard um, and so hearing, you know, if you go back and you look at, for, for example, the chess player talking about his use of analytics, and but then his reliance on himself and his understanding of these are the key pressure situations that I have to be able to perform in uh, and relying on his team, actually, is what he talked about, mm-hmm. relying on the analytics team, even though this guy's not a great chess player, uh, he can help me with my chess game because he understands computers. And so finding the value in each individual person in the team and letting that kind of voice be heard. And, and when you think about uh, Upright Citizens Brigade and their whole philosophy, and then leading into, leading into Luke Walton talking about empowering the players, um, interesting for me to watch uh, over the last couple of years in professional sports, and I guess maybe as in society as a whole, how we've really turned the focus back towards people.
1: Mm. And I think, I think completely you picked up there, He said joy, He said empathy. You don't hear coaches, I mean at the events, but just in general talking about those things all too often. Um, did that resonate with you in terms of the way that he approaches that, and, and the fact he opened up, and he knows that he started this journey, and he was talking about, you know, we might not win in the right way, or we might not lose in the right way, but actually he's coming back to what do we want to be in as an organization. I know you, you know, we focused on the psychological safety cool. session back in Chicago last year. So did some of those points resonate?
7: Quite Absolutely. Well? I think it comes. It all comes down to uh, empowerment and what we're looking for in people. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's only one day that's real. <laughs> there's only one moment that's real. It's it's so easy to forget that as we as we as we chase these outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, but how are we? And, and another thing from from Luke, I think that okay, we talk about joy, compassion, mindfulness, and all that. How do you how do you get there? When they talked about what is what is your greatest coaching achievement to this point? What Steve asked him, what was your Kobe Bryant moment coming into this point? And his response was watching the process express itself finally mm-hmm. into the game. So. What he's telling you is that we don't care mm-hmm. at the end of the day about, well, of course we care. We, we keep score so we can win or lose, right? Mm-hmm. But for him, the value, the validation of his experience comes from watching the improvement of other people and being there in it with them. And I think that that's a nice metaphor for life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, and it's it, not it, a
6: zero-sum game. I feel like that was the kind of the thing that everybody believed before is like, oh, to get there, we have to be as relentless to the people inside our organization as we are when we compete and now we're hearing a very different message, right? which is that we can actually show up with joy in that day and it doesn't mean we aren't relentless and competitive when we play. But I think to clean some of that out and challenge the idea that that has to be in place to win is really nice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, taking you back to the present moment, Thirty-three days in a row, you've been oh, you've been working. Yeah. It's been relentless. I know you're enjoying a bit of <laughs> headspace. <laughs> yeah, it's nice today. to learn. Um, how are you? You know, in general, looking ahead to the new season, are you thinking anything's gonna any themes that are cropping up in your head that might occur over the last 12 months? Have you seen the game and you know the 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 organisation and actually just the sport changing anyway as well?
7: Yeah. So I think that in this just to stay on this concept of humanity, um, we've experienced a whole lot more. Uh, open vulnerability with our players this year, mm-hmm. which is something that's interesting for me to watch happen. Um, you know, it comes from it comes from the top, from our, our our best major league players are having meetings and openly expressing how they feel to each other uh, in a meaningful way. And so it's nice to see that the rest of sport is kind of uh, echoing that. And in the midst of this kind of grind that we have of training camp, uh, the positive attitude is overwhelming right now, which is again. If you had the baseball experience that I do, you'd say this is strange in the middle of March that people are so happy to show up to the field every single day, that the work is, is, is very focused, mm-hmm. uh, and, but that the, the fun level is an all-time high. And when I watch that, I think about 2016, we you know took us 108 years and we won the World Series, and we were trying to be prepared for when that happened, and we weren't unprepared in 2017. Mm-hmm. We underperformed. Um, and I don't have to say that our players will say the same thing. They all believe that they underperformed last year, and they were all em- embarrassed by their performance, which took them, I think, two games away from the World Series again. Mm-hmm. That was an embarrassing performance. In their mind, I I see us being uh, I see us I see it. It's hard for me to not see us winning um, everything again this year. Uh, I have a I have a similar feeling that I did to 2016. Only it's different in that then we had very good young players. Mm-hmm that needed some guidance. Now we have those same young players of two, two more years of experience of, of winning and failing. Um, and they're the ones that are driving this kind of vulnerability movement mm-hmm. within the organization. So barring some sort of an injury, I, I would be, I would be surprised. I would be, I'll be incredibly surprised to not see us perform at an exceptional level this season. Well, we
1: hope you do. And then just to, just you that I know that, you know, you and John got to know each other quite a lot since, you know, the last couple of years and you've been, speaking to a lot of organizations and coaches in general, is there anything you've seen over the last kind of 12 months or even just you kind of delved into sports a little bit more? Any key characteristics that you've seen align with maybe success or successful organizations? I think the
6: vulnerability piece is huge and I've been really intrigued to see that coaches are actually starting to think about their effectiveness. And I think it is really hard in these incredibly high stakes um, situations where you can be fired so rapidly and, and I get the results piece. So it's fascinating to see organizations that are taking risks and then looking at learning as a, the only way to sustainably get better and to outperform other people. So I think the vulnerability in coaches starting to actually ask questions about is you know, what I'm doing, does it work, does it work for that player? instead of that really kind of fear-based insular thing that can happen where if you don't know what makes you effective, you just sort of clamp down on everything and just see organizations that are actually building trust into the fabric of it. So I'm not gonna fire you tomorrow for learning. I actually want you to learn, it matters, Mm -hmm. and that's how you're gonna make us better has been a really interesting shift in the last year.
1: And taking this into your new role from medical director to director of high performance, is it?
6: Yeah, director of wellness and high performance, I think, been such an incredible learning environment to be a part of leaders on so many levels, and to now get to bring some of these principles back to medicine and doing some projects right now actually working with trauma surgeons in, um in DC and realizing that the stuff that your baseball teams understand about relentless performance and mental skills and what it means to have failures which are also a huge part of medicine to start bringing back those principles and to say to physicians We want to optimize your performance and if you think about it if any one of us has given this debate in the middle of the night like hey it's 4 a.m and i'm going to give you a thousand dollars and you can either give it to the hockey player who i love and love to watch play or i'm going to give it to optimize the doctor who's about to take care of your loved one that's in this ambulance Mm -hmm. we all have this kind of like wait wait well aren't you doing that but we actually aren't i don't want to take anything away from sports i want to take those ideas whereas the doctor at 4 a.m may have no access to food because they're told to go to a vending machine because they shut the cafeteria down because nobody wants to do that. They may have no sense of recovery. So we can take the stuff that sports is so good at and actually start optimizing the people that are caring for us. And mm-hmm. um, I just think it's an incredibly powerful intersection of all this.
1: Well, we're excited. See how it goes. And we've just agreed that there will be a Harrison Baker podcast sure. on the <laughs> yes. But Absolutely. we're off to get... Uh, a couple more gin and So appreciate you talking to us, Darren. Yeah, appreciate you. it. Thank you. So here in Vegas at the Car Theater with Brian, he's been, uh, you know, Brian Bernstein, sir. He's been kind enough to uh, invite me in. Thanks for having me. Um, we we're just chatting a little bit about
8: the the summit you've got coming up. Tell us tell us a bit about that. Yeah, we're getting excited. Uh, coming up in a few weeks here, we're get, having our annual head coaches summit. But this year, rather than just thinking about uh, what we do and connecting internally, we're linking in with some of the people that we've met through leaders and we're having an actual performance summit. Uh, We're gonna do it in collaboration with the National Institute of Sport uh, in Quebec and uh, invite some of our guys at uh, Talk Performance and look at different aspects of training and performance and how we support our artists throughout the entire journey.
1: You are probably, when when you come to the events, probably see yourself as the left field attendee sometimes not working you know uh, within sport I mean what what does the what has the value been in the last
8: couple of years and talking to some of these organizations for you well it's great to see uh, that we all have like minds and like challenges and how we deal with humans and human performance um, I think that sometimes we can it's nice to be able to get away from uh, the inner workings of our own space and talk about the environment we, we create, the relationships we build and the way that uh, we can work together and keep learning about how we can develop and enhance and support the performers or athletes that we work with. Mm.
1: And how important is that environment here? I know you, you mentioned earlier that the show here in Vegas has been going nearly 15 years now and you almost designed these residential shows to, to last at least a couple of decades. So how important is it to have an environment around each one to make sure you know it sustains that success?
8: Each one of those uh, environments is special and unique and uh, it has a meaning and an intention and it has to be thought thoughtfully uh, developed and sustained so that the performer uh, can Uh, appreciate what they have uh, take advantage of what's there for them and that we've created it in a way that we can continually challenge them and inspire them and find ways to grow within that space over the time we're together
1: absolutely and um i know that you said you're taking a bit of a step back at the moment and you know trying to think about the new topics that could be on the horizon if you do you think in your world that in the next 12 18 months anything's going to change in particular Is, is there anything that you can see any trends that you can see kind of uh, coming out of the woodwork from anywhere, or is it kind of as you were? Uh,
8: I continue to think that, you know, an area that is going to uh, start to distinguish the, the top end is going to be the mental side of the performance, uh, and also creative thinking and uh, creative ways to approach support services. It's going to be, we, we always talk about culture and building, uh, you know, the Intention behind uh, how we support people. But I think that now just driving, uh, reinforcing all of those things and then pushing the areas of mental performance, recovery, uh, some of those areas that seem so fundamental Mm. but are so critical and going to start to make the difference.
1: Definitely a theme that's, I think, across a lot of different sports at the moment. Um, Perfect. Cheers, Brian. We'll uh, hopefully get some members down in Vegas soon. Good to see you. Thank you.